Fox Sports Radio. Well, as we are hours away from the NFL Hall of Fame game and our fancy turns more fervently to the gridiron, I'm reminded of a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes, who once said, Man's mind stretched to a new dimension never returns to its original state. And that is our goal tonight, to stretch your mind to make you think, well, and along the way, maybe toss in a, a few hijinks. And on that note, welcome back to another award-winning edition of Straight Out of Vegas, the weekend adaptation. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. I want to remind you, Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover is accepted at 99% of the places in the U.S. that take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. So when the Cowboys and Steelers kick it off in the Hall of Fame game this Thursday and the preseason games are underway, well, it's going to provide something we haven't had in six months, the opportunity to bet on a live NFL game. And why do the pros believe the preseason is far less risky than the regular season when it comes to betting? We're going to take a deeper dive tonight, and I'm going to explain. Like our good buddy Arnie Spanier says, the preseason is the free season. Of course, it's a play on words. Nothing's free, but you get the point. It's less risky to bet than the regular season. I bet you didn't know that. Uh, in about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by a longtime sportsbook operator, good buddy of mine here in Las Vegas, Mr. Dave Sherapan, and we'll continue with more NFL talk. After Kevin Figures' update, we'll talk about the latest stories swirling around Las Vegas, and we'll take a closer look at the Las Vegas Raiders and why their season over-under win total is 7.5, which has the natives restless and upset. But I'll explain why the number is there. Of course, we close down the show with Mackinac Sports to stretch your mind and give you the kind of data you only find on this show. Sports are entertainment, but they're more than that. They're a shared experience. As such, people want to talk about them. You've come to the right place. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. This is Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. As they say in Kirk Cousins, Minnesota, it's going to be lit. By the way, programming note, when I sign off at uh, 11.55 p.m., I'll sign right back on at midnight. We'll take you all the way through to 3 a.m. Pacific and 6 a.m. Eastern. All right, you might hear people say, don't bet NFL preseason football, big mistake, you're a degenerate. Couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually easier than capping the regular season because in many cases, you can read ahead of time the exact game plan for each team, and the NFL preseason's a great opportunity to start and build a nice bankroll, even though the limits are smaller for the upcoming regular season because if you do your homework, the preseason offers sharps, and amateurs and recreational betters a tremendous opportunity to make yourself some coin. Here's why. First of all, the outcomes of preseason games rarely have anything to do with the talent on the respective teams. Since the majority of the games are played by second, third, four-string guys, guys that will be working at Nap Auto Parts uh, next month, nothing against that. It's good work. But not everybody can play in the NFL. And here's the other thing. Some coaches care about winning preseason games. They really do, while others do not. Thus, betting on coaches with great preseason records is an easier way to make money. There are also some pretty significant trends that don't lie. 
As I get into this, I'm going to talk about which coaches you like backing and which coaches you like fading. There's a couple other things at play here. Depth. So quarterbacks and continuity, they're really the key. The The NFL preseason wagers, just like those during the regular season, often come down to the last eight minutes of a game. So look at teams and find teams that have solid depth at quarterback or some experience or success in the league. There are plenty of depth charts, and they're all listed. They're easy to find. I was just on with Arnie and Aaron uh, an hour ago, and we were talking about whether or not the Texans might be a good bet this year because they're 22-1. to Well, I don't think Deshaun Watson's going to play. He's QB4 right now. They list the depth chart. Terod Taylor's one, Davis Mills is two, Jeff Driscoll's three. Well, all teams lift the, uh, list the uh, depth chart. And so you're going you're, you're going to find situations where one team might have a tremendous advantage in the closing moments of a game when you've got a quarterback who's actually been in the league and been, uh, you know, against real bullets flying and they're playing against a third or fourth string defense and maybe a quarterback on the other side who's you know wet between the ears experience is a big thing too and i don't really necessarily mean the team that has the most grizzled veterans on it in fact that kind of experience can be a detriment because most older players hate preseason games and teams that have established players in certain positions or roles will often see those guys basically kind of mail it in during the preseason because they know the games are meaningless and most of them have their jobs locked up. However, experience is a key factor when it comes to handicapping coaches and systems. The so organizations that haven't experienced much turnaround or turnover, well, they have a significant advantage over those that are easing into a new brain trust. For example, take the Seattle Seahawks. They've pretty much been running Pete Carroll systems since 2010. The Seahawks are going to be much sharper than a team that is going through drastic changes. Take the Philadelphia Eagles, for example. They're breaking in a brand new coach, Nick Sirianni, a new offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, a new defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, and you key on clubs that have familiarity and continuity and fade the ones that don't. And this is really an important point to uh, to note because – when, when you're learning on the job, you're not thinking about winning the game. You're thinking about learning on the job and getting ready for the regular season. Whereas on the other side, you've got situations where, again, the continuity of the team, the system, the terminology, they're used to it. Here's another key thing. This is very key. There are seven new head coaches for the 21-22 season. And first-year head coaches can be a little tricky, but generally – Generally, first-year head coaches perform very well in their uh, first August home game. Let's just take a look at the last five years. Six and one against the spread in their first home game for new coaches five years ago. Five and two against the number in 2017. Four and one against the spread in 2018. It's six and two in 2019. Obviously, there was no preseason in 2020, but add it up. You're 21 and six in the last four preseasons combined. Uh, what's that puts you at about uh, 66%, 65%. If you uh, cash at 64, 65, 66%, you can make all the money you want to make. And a lot of expectations are put on these new guys coming in. They all want to show the owner, the general manager, the players, the fans, he's the right man for the job. So setting this early tone means playing to win in the preseason. And by the way, there's only three preseason games this year so it's even more important to win early uh arthur smith he's a brand new coach in atlanta 
Dan Campbell, the new guy in Detroit, David Culley with the Houston Texans, some guy you may have heard of, Urban Meyer, Jacksonville Jaguars. Brandon Staley is the new coach in uh, for the Chargers. Nick Sirianni, who I just mentioned, the Philadelphia Eagles. And finally, Robert Sala of the New York Jets. As I just said, first-year coaches do very well, 21-6 and six, cumulatively in their first home, home preseason game. Now, the other thing you want to look at is competition and philosophy. And if you know how head coaches were raised and what their philosophies are, you're still going to have a good advantage in August. I'll give you an example. Here's one head coach that treats the preseason as if it's life or death. guy by the name of John Harbaugh of the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are 17-0 in the last four preseasons that John Harbaugh has coached, and he covered the spread in 16 of them. By the way, in his career... He's 37-12 and 12 against his spread overall in the preseason. If you'd have just backed him blindly, you'd have made a small fortune. Now on the flip side, Sean McVay of the LA Rams, clearly he hates the preseason. He uses August to scout his younger guys while keeping his starters and backups healthy. That's his philosophy. That's the idea. You want to know who's got what philosophy and how they'll approach these preseason games philosophically. Now, in 2019, the Rams went 1-3 and three against the number in preseason. Sean McVay, in his short career in the NFL, is 5-8 and eight against the spread, and frankly, could be worse because the odds makers really inflate the Rams' opponents' lines because they know, right? Be careful. Again, keep an eye also on Seattle Seahawks this August. Pete Carroll has always played to win in the preseason, evidenced by a 36 and 18 record at 67 percent against the spread why would you expect seattle not to do well in the preseason again this year it's pete carroll's philosophy and as i said they've had the same terminology in the same system for 10 years how about motivation if you watch the nfl for any number of years you know that not every head coach cares about winning as i just said they have different agendas they handle the preseason differently the key is you do a little local research, read local beat writers' columns. A lot, t- a lot of times they're very revealing on what they'll say. One final thing, scheduling. The NFL preseason schedule isn't typically too taxing, but one thing to note, the two teams that play in the Hall of Fame game, that's Pittsburgh and Dallas, they're typically a good bet to fade in their next game. If some of the key players are banged up, you can expect those guys in street clothes in week two. Another team to really watch, the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings went 7-9 and nine straight up in 2020. But in the preseason, Mike Zimmer, he's 18-8 and eight against the spread. That's 70% in the preseason. And he's always played to win August games, especially when he follows up on a losing regular season. Now, they've also got a pretty good quarterback uh, depth chart in Minnesota. You've got Kirk Cousins, uh, Jake Browning, Nate Stanley. These guys are have been in the league. The Vikings, minus three at home against the Colts in week two. All of a sudden, that looks pretty good, doesn't it? That's August 21st. I'm talking about week two uh, in the uh, preseason. Now, with that news coming out of Indianapolis, you don't know where their head is at. All right, a couple things here that I want to point out. These are the records of the coaches that you want to back. Pete Carroll, John Gruden, 36 and 18. I did mention him. Mike Tomlin, 31 and 23. John Harbaugh, I've already mentioned, 37 and 12. Mike Zimmer. Uh, have I left anybody out? No. Brian Flores. He's only had four preseason games in his career uh, as a head coach in Miami, but he's won all four, covered all four. 
The guys that don't, Andy Reid couldn't care less. 39 and 45 lifetime, Mike Vrabel, 2 and 6, Bruce Arians also under 500. What's the significance? You will know that those teams, when they take the field with those coaches, aren't going to be focused on winning. Here's a couple of other trends for you. The Chiefs, who I just mentioned. There's a trend where they're 2-23 and against the spread. If the Chiefs lose a preseason game and then they face an opponent the following week coming off a win, the Chiefs are 2-23 and in that situation. You know what to do. All right. Why don't we end this up with a best bet for week one? Week one in the preseason, that is. Here's another trend for you. Super Bowl champions since 1983, 45 and 62. Typically, if you just faded them blindly, 58%, make all the money you want to make. By the way, uh, also, for what it's worth, Super Bowl champions, 4 and 14 against the spread in the preseason since 2011. Well, the preseason game that I know a lot of pros already are looking at. Week one, the preseason. Again, one final trend. I'm trying to get as many of these as I can. Preseason favorites of six or more in game one. This is only a game one trend. Six or more, only five and ten against the spread since 2011. When you know it, the preseason uh, week one game features Cincinnati catching six points at Tampa Bay. Now, Tampa Bay is... The Super Bowl defending champion, they're laying six points. So you got two solid trends there. Uh, if you faded Super Bowl champions in the preseason, you're 58%. Uh, five and ten in the last, uh, since 2011. And also preseason favorites of six or more, uh, about 40% since 2011. So it looks like Cincinnati plus six, week one in the preseason, will be a pretty solid bet. You will see Joe Burrow taking snaps against a brand-new, rebuilt offensive line, and I think they've improved their offensive line. It was a priority, and I think Cincinnati wants to be competitive. They want to get off. They had a bad taste from what happened last year. That actually is a uh, a pretty solid play. I don't even think you'll see Brady on the field. He may not even be dressed. He won't take any snaps, but Joe Burrow will. All right, coming up, we're going to bring you back out to Vegas and talk to a good friend of mine, longtime sports book director here, Dave Sherapan, a Pittsburgh guy. Maybe we'll talk about the Steelers, but we'll certainly talk a lot more NFL. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted, so don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker, for 22 minutes of piping hot baseball talk featuring the biggest names and newsmakers in the sport. Whether you believe in analytics or the eye test, we've got all the bases covered. New episodes drop every Thursday, so do yourself a favor and listen to Inside the Parker with Rob Parker on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. We're back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. And one of the big news items this week, among many news items, was a trade involving the Los Angeles Lakers. And it even affected the betting markets because the Lakers went from being 92 favorites 
to win the championship, two seven to two favorites, all because of one guy who is very polarizing, and he's on his fourth team in four years. Let me unpack this for just a second from the way I see it. So, see, the Lakers, instead of adding some much-needed shooting, they traded for arguably or uh, Russell Westbrook. Gosh, he's got me tripping over my tongue. Arguably, one of the bigger ball hogs in the history of the NBA. Can LeBron James make sense of this new big three? All right, because the long and the short of it is, LeBron James is a primary playmaker. He needs a secondary playmaker. Russ Westbrook is a primary playmaker, and he's not a space creator. And I know LeBron James likes having, quote, another big three in place, but Westbrook's going on 37. He, He doesn't need to attack and physically move defenders out in order to be able to touch the ball. Look, defenders don't even guard Westbrook on the perimeter when he doesn't have the ball, nor should they. One of the ironies is about this trade is when the Lakers played the Rockets in the bubble, they just left Westbrook alone outside to shoot, and it worked. So here's a guy, and even last year when he was putting up crazy numbers and they got to the playoffs, when he was on, when Westbrook was playing with guys like like James Harden and uh, Bradley Beal over the last couple of seasons, Westbrook shot a miserable 29% on catch-and-shoot threes. Now, completing the deal with the Wizards and and matching Westbrook's hefty salary, it costs the Lakers Montrezl Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, and the number 22 pick in Thursday night's draft. For what? It's a giant swing from a franchise that had the luxury to play it safer, especially from a a salary cap perspective. Do you really need a ball-dominant lead guard when you already have James and Anthony Davis? And had they not gotten hurt last year, I still think the Lakers would have been a you know, f- strong favorite to get to the finals and maybe even win again. I can't say this is a good move. Why? What are you getting? You're getting a triple-double machine whose play tails off every now and then, and the result usually means his teams finish about 500 and they end up in an early exit in the playoffs. You know, I'm going to repeat myself. Russell Westbrook is a primary playmaker. So is LeBron. They needed a secondary playmaker. They needed more rim protection. And they need better three-point shooters. Can you honestly say Russell Westbrook fits that bill? And Westbrook, in addition to having a spotty perimeter game and his ever-present potential. Now, look, you know I'm right here. The ever-present potential to disrupt team chemistry. These are things that should concern Lakers backers. If you don't believe me, just ask KD. Just ask Paul George. There's a reason he's on his fourth team in four years. And again, when the Lakers played the Rockets last year in the uh, bubble, they basically left Russell Westbrook alone outside to shoot, and it worked. All right. You know, maybe they can prove me wrong. Another team that I think is going to prove us wrong here, uh, I didn't panic when the Olympic team lost a couple of exhibition games and when they lost to France and great. So they beat Iran and they beat the Czech Republic and they made 23s in the game against the Czech Republic. I still think they're going to win the gold medal and they're minus 250. It's amazing because you could have gotten the Olympic team at minus 200 
before the game against Iran, at one point they were they were minus a thousand, which means you had to put up a dollar. Uh, or check that you had to put up ten dollars just to win one. Now they they've just gone from two to one to minus two fifty. Pretty good value on a team with future Hall of Famers on it. And so who do they play next? Well, it looks like they are going to play either Italy or the loser of Spain and Slovenia. And after that, I would suspicion they get by that. So I can I think you can you can probably put them in the semifinals right now, but. I'm not 100% confident. As you look at this team, they're basically a group of individual stars and roles that very much differ from their respective NBA teams. All right? So up until the last couple games, and still a little bit, they kind of take turns going long stretches without touches of the ball. So they never really get into the rhythm. And because they're a bunch of individuals trying to gel, uh, you know, it's like my turn this, this trip down, your turn next trip down. And I don't think anybody fears the United States anymore. They can't win on reputation. The intimidation factor in the past was probably worth 15 points a game. But when you saw them lose to France, France was a legit team with an established offensive pecking order. Uh, I really didn't see much of the Iranian game and saw just bits and pieces of the uh, Czech Republic game. The Czech team hung in there. And I think it was just the depth and stardom of the... uh, U.S. team that, that was able to pull away. So I do think I do think the U.S. is still probably going to win the gold. It may get a little bumpy here a couple of times. But one of the things that concerns me greatly about this team is they still, they're too reliant on the three-point shot. Even against the Czech Republic, you know, might that margin of victory have been a little misleading? They made 23s. And I, and I think in the last, I want to say the last four or five quarters, five quarters, uh, check that. It might be the last two and a half quarters. They made 16 out of 30. So they're making their threes, but before they weren't making their threes, you saw the nine straight missed shots in that game against France. France had a 14-0 run uh, to finish the game. And at that point, you know, U.S. was 12 and a half point favorite. There, there was no simplistic answer. And I think, you you know, it's pretty clear they hadn't played together on offense and I would just say this, that in that style of play, you could make a case they might not win the gold, but I'm sticking to my guns that they're going to win the gold. But what I would like to see them do is use their extreme athleticism and elite world-class athleticism to take advantage of the world, which I know they can do anytime they want. They've got athletes that can beat their man off the bounce anytime. That way you get more drive and kick, you get to the rim, you draw contact, you get to the free throw line, maybe get an and one, stop settling for for threes, and why not in this international game, beat your guy off the bounce, get down low, drive and kick, establish a mid-range game, and I think one of the things that will seal it for the U.S. is that they'll start to play desperate on defense when they need to in crunch time, and that's when you'll see their athleticism and depth come through no guarantees but i'm still predicting the usa to win the gold and you can get very good value on them now they're minus 250 coming up i don't have the same kind of optimism about the raiders and it's got some local people here a little upset with me and i'm going to explain and i think you'll agree with me when i get done with my oratory but first if you had one shot one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in an update well you better listen up 
Let's go to Kevin Figures with the latest. <laughs> I appreciate it there, Bernie. Uh, we have uh, the final round of golf at the Olympics in Tokyo coming down to the wire right now. Roy Sabatini of Slovakia is in the clubhouse. He's tied for the lead with San Diego native Xander Shoffley, who bogeyed at 14 and made par at 15. Hideki Matsuyama, of course, representing the host country, Japan, has bogeyed two of the last three holes. He is two strokes back with three remaining. Caleb Dressel became the fourth swimmer to win five gold medals in a single Olympics after taking the 50-meter freestyle and the 4 by 100 medley. Gymnast Simone Biles will not compete in the individual floor exercise, and her status for the balance beam is unknown. In the NFL, the Browns and running back Nick Chubb have agreed to a three-year contract extension. The Saints signed running back Devontae Freeman to a one-year deal. In hardball, Javier Baez hitting his first home run of the, not of the season, but his first home run as a Met, I should say, in a 10-inning victory over the Reds. Dodgers over Arizona 8-3 as Justin Turner went deep there. Anthony Rizzo, Yet another home run for the Yankees as they defeated Miami. Five of his last six games, Anthony Rizzo has gone deep. Wins for the Angels, Braves, and Giants. Tampa Bay defeating Boston, taking a half-game lead in the American League East. Back to straight out of Vegas. Thanks so much, Kevin. Appreciate that. Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover is accepted at 99% of the places in the U.S. that take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report limitations apply. All right, I did a couple of local radio shows this week. As you know, it's been in all the papers. The Raiders are now in Vegas. Beautiful new stadium, Allegiant Field. This will be the first year they get to play in front of fans. They open up at home against the Baltimore Ravens. They opened up as a six-point underdog. They're currently a four, four-and-a-half-point underdog, depending on where you shop. And Baltimore Ravens quarterback, uh, Lamar Jackson, has tested positive for COVID, but I'm sure he'll be fine uh, by opening uh, by opening day. So the, the Raiders enter this season with high hopes, uh, although I would say the hopes are a lot because Raider Nation is such an incredibly dedicated, loyal, emotionally invested fan base, perhaps the greatest in all the sports. The team's relocated three or four times. They follow wherever they go. They've got fans all around the world. They're inc- it's an incredible, incredible fan base. But that doesn't mean that the Raiders are going to win on the field because they have such a great fan base, even though some folks would like it to be that way. Last year, they started out... Six and three. They even beat Cleveland. They beat Kansas City. They beat New Orleans. They looked impressive. Unfortunately, they were two and five down the stretch, which created, I think, a lot of challenging questions heading into this season, which is why the Raiders currently, their season win over under total is seven and a half. And the pros I talk to and the people I know are betting the under, which I think has Raider Nation fans a bit up in arms. But there's a lot of questions. First of all, what changes will new defensive coordinator Gus Bradley bring to the Raiders' defense, the Raiders' 25th-ranked defense, I might mention? Were the early projections in sorting out the Raiders' defensive secondary? How will the Raiders' revamped offensive line shake out this coming year? Uh, The Raiders uh, added John Brown at wide receiver, and they moved Nelson Aguilar along. So did that mean they get an upgrade? One of the other things I think that's got to be very challenging for any Raider fan, if we're being honest with ourselves, is the Raiders have the eighth toughest strength of schedule in the National Football League this year. They play teams with a cumulative 530 
winning percentage. And not for nothing, the Raiders play seven playoff teams. They have to go to Indianapolis, which now, if they don't have Carson Wentz, might look a whole lot different. But still, anytime you go into the road in the National Football League, it's gauntlet. But you go to Indy, you go to Cleveland, they travel to the New York Giants, who I think will be improved. They get Pittsburgh uh, on the road. And then they've got to go to Dallas as well, I think, around Thanksgiving. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you've got Kansas City and Denver. Those are not going to be any picnics either. People asked me what I thought the toughest stretch of the Raiders' schedule is because I have a couple of tough stretches later in the year. But for me, and having covered the NFL and the Detroit Lions for 10 years, just about seen it all, uh, pre- and post-game show, the first year I did, 1998, was Barry Sanders' last year. And the last year was 2008, Rod Marinelli's infamous 0-16 Lions team. Yes, I covered that team. By the way, not for nothing, uh, Rod Marinelli is also a defensive coach for the aforementioned Las Vegas Raiders. A lot of meat on the bone here with the Raiders. And if, if you're scoring at home, and I hope you are, they're 80-1 to to win the Super Bowl, and they're plus 340 to make the playoffs, which means there's probably about a 70% chance, 75% chance, according to those numbers, they don't make the playoffs. So back to the toughest stretch in terms of what do I think in terms of their toughest stretch right out of the gate because the Raiders in their first two games and in their first four games, they cannot afford to be one and three and climb uphill the rest of the way. They simply can't afford that. Week one, you've got Baltimore. You know Baltimore will come in loaded for bear, and they've done nothing except improve. Uh, I, t- you tell me, do the Raiders have the talent on defense to keep the likes of Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins and Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins and Rashad Bateman? Can you keep them all in check? Now, I think scoring points uh, won't be an issue for the Raiders, and I think... Offensively, the Raiders should be very respectable. So that side of the ball will be the Raiders' saving grace, as it were. But the defensive side of the ball is going to continue to be an issue for John Gruden. And if I'm a betting man, I'm not laying the four or six points, uh, but I will say this. Uh, I I can't see Baltimore coming in here week one and dropping – Anything can happen. It's the National Football League. But I don't think Baltimore loses that game week one. Now you got to go to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is going to be an interesting matchup for the Raiders because the Raiders have a completely rebuilt offensive line. And Pittsburgh, yes, they lost Bud Dupree, but they added Melvin Ingram, who's a fabulous edge rusher, and you bookend him with T.J. Watt, and you've got two outstanding edge rushers. Match that with the rebuilt offensive line this offseason for the Raiders, and this projects to be perhaps a tough game for Derek Carr because Pittsburgh's defensive line is more than capable of creating constant pressure and essentially maybe living in the backfield. So this is going to be a close game, I'm sure of it, but the long and the short of it is is can they go to Pittsburgh with a superior defensive line who's going to pressure Derek Carr and get a win on the road? Then it gets interesting. And, and, and by the way, I want to repeat myself. Again, the Raiders' defense has been their Achilles heel because they ranked 25th overall in 2020. And in order for them to be 
a serious contender or have an opportunity to make a run in Kansas City or be a wild card playoff team, they've got to be a top 15 defense. If they can, this team has a chance to go places. That said, though, or that is easier said than done. Then the Raiders host Miami. You saw what happened with Miami here last year. The good news is Miami no longer has Fitz magic, but I think Brian Flores has it going down there. I think Miami's a playoff team this year. Pittsburgh was a playoff team last year. Baltimore was a playoff team last year. Not an easy start to the season. And then week four, I said I thought the first four weeks would be a serious challenge. Well, week four, the Raiders go to Los Angeles to play the Chargers and Justin Herbert for their first division game on the road on Monday Night Football in week four. So there you have it. The Raiders are going to have their work cut out for them. And getting out of the gate, they cannot go worse than two and two and expect to be anywhere near that run in the playoffs as well as maybe even making a run to get in that eighth victory to go over their season 10 win total. Now, I will say this thing, one last thing. The Raiders, actually, this season... Sort of reminds me of 2016 when no one thought they would do anything and their season total was seven. They ended up going 12-4. and four. And it's a shame Derek Carr broke his leg before the playoff game against Houston because there's no telling. So you're seeing a market line now. The market is speaking. They don't trust the Raiders. They're skeptical. Too many questions. Eighth toughest schedule. 25th ranked defense. The markets are skeptical. Although I will also say this. The NFL is always more interesting. It's like the Yankees in baseball, the Celtics and Lakers in basketball. When the Raiders are good, it's good for the NFL. Coming up, you know him, you love him, you can't live without him. Mackinac Sports with Mackenzie Rivers. He will join us. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted, so don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas! Back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show you always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Before I go any further, I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles, turning all the dials, keeping us glued together. That would be Bo Benson, Chris Perfett, and Kevin Figures. And they will be joining me right through to 3 a.m. as well. So keep it locked right here. But first, let's go to the man. Well, you know him, you love him, you can't leave without him. It's that time of the week, Mackinac Sports with our own Mackenzie Rivers. Mackenzie, now it's time to match the NFL power ratings with when the season starts and the rubber hits the road. What do you got? Yes, it's that time of year. We turn the page to the NFL. By the way, it's power rating season. It's never too early. It might seem like, hey, these teams, these teams aren't finalized you might have heard the Packers added a potential Hall of Fame receiver in Randall Cobb. I mean, what an acquisition that was. But what we do in Vegas is we project the unexpected. We project un- improbabilities. So the fact that we know how these teams are doing right now, we project how they're going to do in the future. Who do you think is the best team in the NFL right now here on July 31st, August 1st? Well, I know it's going to be Paul rated the Chiefs. How can it not be? But Tampa Bay and the Chiefs are right there. I, that's my that's my statement. It's funny, you know. People do college power ratings, and there's 400 teams, and everyone's within a half a point or a point with within each other. The same with the NFL. There's 32 teams. All the analysis, most people will get pretty close. And you're right. The Chiefs or the Bucks are going to be the one, two of everybody's list. 
For me, it is the Tampa Bay Bucks. I have them seven points better than the average team. The Chiefs a notch below, plus six and a half. We saw them scramble with their offensive line. They added new pieces. Kyle Long off the bench of retirement. Not sure if it's all going to come back together. We talked about them last week. Will they have the continuity to make up for their age? You know, being a more expensive older team. Speaking of which, game of the decade potentially. We just saw a game of the millennium. I mean, Tom Brady versus Matt Mahomes will define who was the quarterback of the millennium. By the way, it was Tom Brady. He won seven Super Bowls. Mahomes will never catch him. So, yep, Brady, millennium quarterback. But the 2020s, Brady might retire maybe. So, the 2020s will be Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes. So, I'm going to call it week nine, game of the decade, Packers at Chiefs. Let's guess the line, Bernie. What do you think the well, line is, Packers let's put it this way. Chiefs. All right, so if these two teams lined up on a neutral, I'd probably make the Chiefs three, so I'm going to call it six and a half. Wow, that's exactly the number I wrote down on my little spreadsheet here, and it really? says Delta three, which is a rare Delta, because it is only three and a half. The Packers plus three and a half at Chiefs right now at the Westgate week nine. Westgate went ahead and made all 17 weeks this year. They had their Wheaties this summer, so congrats to them. That's an awesome thing to see. We can compare all these teams throughout the year. But, yeah, wow, I wrote down six and a half. You think the Chiefs are at least a field goal better than the Packers, well, no, but re- not re- so. Remember, well, th- remember Mackenzie, uh, for the folks who listen to this show, we always want to remind people, the line is not a predictor. It's not a situation where I'm predicting that the Chiefs will win that game by seven. What I am saying is you put the Chiefs six, six and a half, you're still going to get Kansas City money. The books, the books are just trying to create equal action on both sides. Yeah, we remember the final four, too. The Packers, Bucks, Chiefs, Bills. Those four teams seem pretty even. The fact that the Packers went out changed our perception a little bit. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum your end of the woods the Houston Texans are the worst team but your Detroit Lions I'm sorry to say are power rated at the second worst on most everybody's list and speaking you know we're here at the pregame studios RJ Bell's Pittsburgh Steelers are hosting you guys week 10 what do you think the line is Detroit Lions Pittsburgh Steelers you know, the, this is like playing Russian roulette when you project a line 10 weeks out not knowing who's going to be healthy. And I don't know if you heard me with Arnie and Aaron Pittsburgh starting five new offensive line starters playing their, a new position for the first time in their career. You get 39-year-old Ben Roethlisberger, who's got something to prove, but he's had more surgeries than Joan Rivers. I'm getting pretty good reports out of Detroit that this team's going to play hard, be competitive. Still, having said all that, I make Pittsburgh minus seven. Seven and a half, you're right on. You are one of the voices of Vegas. Speaking of uh, the voices of Vegas, you talk about Pittsburgh Steelers' offensive line. The day that DeCastro was announced out, you know, he's been dealing with that injury. He's been trying to come back. He's one of the veterans. He's probably the veteran lineman coming back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was before he had to retire or at least temporarily step aside. We said it right here, eight and a half wins, Pittsburgh Steelers, that's too much. You know, they've never had a losing season. It might be better than 50-50 that Mike Tomlin will have the first time in his, I think, 17-year career, his first losing season. 
because the Vegas market has been plummeting. It's eight and, it was eight and a half flat. They're expected to win between eight and nine games out of 17. Now it's closer to eight, eight and a quarter maybe you could call it. A lot of betters in Vegas agreeing with RJ what we said on Vegas that day on Straight Out of Vegas. Pittsburgh Steelers, pessimism in the marketplace. Well, the pessimism, uh, you know, is relative. I, they're going to compete, all right? They still got it in their DNA. They're, they're not going to go off a cliff. So, I think Pittsburgh will be there. We'll, we'll, we'll be over 500. Let's put it that way. We talked about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My other Super Bowl team, the Buffalo Bills, yep. will be visiting the Saints. This was another Delta three on my spreadsheet. What do you think the line is? Game of the year, maybe Buffalo Bills at the New Orleans Saints week 12. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that the Bills are going to be a short favorite. I'll I'll say it's Buffalo minus two. Right on. That is exactly correct. I had the Saints minus one. I was thinking, you know, more respect to that New Orleans crowd. But Josh Allen, an MVP candidate, maybe second MVP favorite behind yep. Patrick Mahomes. All right, good stuff, McKenzie. We're uh, McKenzie's going to be with us. All night till 3 a.m. And as we get to our final segment of every hour, Mackenzie will have more good stuff like this and we'll chop it up, go back and forth. That is going to do it for this night's edition of Straight Out of Vegas. Next up, the man from Nashville. No, he's off. Bernie Fratto in. Keep it locked right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! 